Welcome back, brothers and listeners, to another episode of our very own Balanced Men. This week, you're in for another treat as we have the guest, none other than Mr. Tom Barton. Uh, Tom is the founder, owner, and president of Barton Wealth Management, which is a Wells Fargo Advisors financial network, premier advisor firm that specializes in wealth management, which includes retirement building, income planning, estate planning, amongst several other services. Tom was the recipient of the prestigious Wells Fargo Advisor Spirit Award in 2016, which is given each year to only one of the 1,500 advisors in the Wells Fargo Advisor system. Tom is also a member of the Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network Licensee Advisory Board Strategy Team. Outside of his professional career, Tom also has served time in the public sector as a four-term elected official on the Dubuque Schools Board of Education. He has served two terms and chose not to seek re-election, and then successfully ran again in 2011 and 2015, which he was the top vote-getter, securing 90% of the vote in 2015 with a heavily contested race. On top of that, he's the past member of the Board of Directors for the Boy Scouts of America in Northeast Iowa Council, uh, past chairman of the board for the Dubuque Area Chamber of Commerce, past Mercy Medical Center donor, past board member for the foundation. Within SIG App, Tom is a Sigma Phi Epsilon Life Trustee, a recipient of the Distinguished Alumnus, a Exemplary Service Award recipient, a national volunteer and donor since 1989. He is a SIGEP National Endowment Educational Foundation Life Trustee and on the serves on the National Advancement Fundraising Council since 2012. That's a lot. That is just SIGEP as well. Uh, on top of that, he stays actively involved in his community, serving on several committees um, and in whatever capacity needed. Tom's a former teacher and coach at the Dubuque schools uh, from 1989 to 1998, where he taught junior high English at Washington Junior High, and he's coached 43 sports seasons at various Dubuque area schools. Uh, within his family, he is married to wife Barb, who is a dedicated uh, volunteer to SIGEP as well. And he has a son, Matt, who is a SIGEP, and his daughter, Katie. A self-proclaimed worst golfer in Dubuque, Iowa history, a hardcore family man, 40-year-plus of the New England Patriots, Bulls, White Sox, Cubs, Blackhawks, and Iowa Hawkeyes wrestling fan. And now that he's married an Ohio girl, He's inherited the Buckeyes, Browns, Cavs, and Indians, too. And on top of all of those accolades, Tom Barton is the man himself that somehow talked me as a freshman into trying out this crazy idea of a fraternity. This episode was so much fun to record, and I hope you all enjoy uh, listening to what Tom Barton has to share. All right, and we have the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Tom Barton with us today. Brother Barton, thanks for uh, being on the show. Prayers not accounted for, man. <laughs> oh, I, I love it. 
Uh, I'm really excited to have you on because, oh my gosh, one of the first uh, uh, big time volunteers that I, I got to meet. And for those listening, a fun tidbit, if it, was, if it was not for this man, I might be a pike today. So there there you go, Tom, <laughs> your, your, your shout out following your bio. The, <laughs> but I, I think those the- Those guys still in business? So, ooh, somehow. <laughs> Give them, give them 10 years, I guess. But uh, I think That's that right. the biggest thing with you is just uh, an amazing story. And so many people were captured by it with, with your own SIGF spotlight with uh, the Barton Spartans. But truly, um, one of the most inspiring stories that we have of, of an undergraduate brother, whether it's a, a few blocks up from the pub um, or just the endless obstacles uh, that you overcame through your story, um, so I'm hoping for anybody that's listening that hasn't heard it, can you give us the brief rundown, right, of the, of just all that you experienced growing up and the challenges that you faced and tying that in together of, you know, what was the biggest thing that that taught you growing up in that way? Cause you've overcome a, a lot when you're growing up. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, one thing I've learned is that by the time any one of us is 18, we can all write a book about how tough the world is. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, Hispanic, or Asian. It doesn't matter if you're a guy or a girl. Uh, it doesn't matter what religion. It doesn't matter if you grew up in the inner city or in, in the sticks in, a, in rural Iowa. Everybody has a tough time. And my tough time included me not really knowing who my father was. I didn't figure that out until I was in my early 30s. And both guys who I thought could have been my father were deceased. Um, lived with my mom in a single parent home till I was 13 and then she passed away, essentially orphaning me at 13. Mm. So, you know, yeah, I mean, that was, I guess that's tougher than maybe what some kids have it in some ways. But yeah, I, you know, went to Loris college because it was essentially the only college I really understood. And it was in my hometown of Dubuque and having an okay experience. It wasn't Loris's fault. I just, I just didn't really know how to get on the swing of it. And then I met up with this crazy fraternity and the rest is history and bob McCune, my mentor at loris uh, order of the golden heart he was like the 101st ever uh, member of the order of the golden heart uh from bradley university bob McCune, who volunteered like crazy at iowa ada at loris and turned us into a buchanan cup factory uh bob kept me around as a as an alumnus when i graduated and said you got to volunteer for the alumni board which is what it was called back in the day so got heavily involved as a volunteer at, at Loris, but then for whatever reason, the national organization came knocking and said, hey, can you help us uh, with a couple other things? In particular, we, you know, we, we, we had been brainstorming a little bit, Ari Rosenbaum being the catalyst mm -hmm. to uh, bring a chapter to, to Cedar Falls, Iowa. And uh, so I was the founding uh I don't know what you'd even call it back then. I wasn't really a chapter. I guess maybe I was a chapter counselor. Quickly handed that off to Neon Leon Schulte when we uh, yeah, when things got rolling. But I was, you know, the one of the key volunteers in getting us started there, along with Bob Graper, Ron Wheeler, and a few other folks. Uh, so yeah. so helping out start helping to start Iowa Theta is really what put me on the map with the national organization. And uh, summer of that was 92, 93. And then summer of 93, I went to the Balance Man Project uh, initial steward session in Richmond, Virginia for about four days. And that changed my life. That's when I found out where the direction of the fraternity was going. And it was a new 
blazing a new trail and yeah. it was really exciting and it was all about goal setting and personal excellence and i thought you know son of a gun if i'm going to be volunteering and helping chapters i got to be able to do more than just tell them the best way to run a good party or the best way <laughs> to, to organize home and i need to be able to inspire beyond that but i didn't have a lot of goals myself so mm-hmm. that's when i really went to work and you know things went up from there wow what a like long and rich history there and so much to touch on, but that going back to you starting that volunteer journey was, would you say uh, it was your mentor pushing you to get involved? Uh, I know that he's had uh, immensely large impact on your life, but was it just your mentor dragging you along or did somewhere along the line as an undergrad, you caught like SIGEP fever and you knew this was an organization that you wanted to be volunteering with and, and giving so much of your, your time and talents to for so many years? Well, yes, yeah, certainly got SIGAP fever. I, I didn't join until I was a junior. And by the end of my senior year, I was named most outstanding active for Buchanan Cup chapter, Iowa Ada, which was pretty cool. Uh, went to Conclay that summer and served on the ritual team because Iowa Ada did the ritual down in St. Louis and really got the bug. But, you know, like everybody else, I you, you just kind of think that it ends when you're done with college. Mm-hmm. So it really takes a mentor to say, Hey, look, we need you to stay involved. And I get, I, I, we, all of us key volunteers get frustrated that we don't have 30 kids per chapter saying they're going to stick around and volunteer each year. And we should have so dang many graduates of our chapters saying they want to volunteer that we don't have enough room for them. And of course we know that's not the case. And so, yeah, it really takes somebody kind of slapping you up alongside the head and saying, hey, we really need you to stay involved. Time, treasure, and talent. You know, we need a couple bucks from you. If you have it, that would really help a chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could use your time being on the BBC or a mentor board or mentoring a kid. You know, those things are – but generally you need someone to tell you to plant the seed to do it. Yeah, and planting a seed you definitely have, as, as you just described it, you know, dragging chapters along, dragging undergrads, and to learn the way of goal setting – uh, I think that's a, a brilliant way of describing it. So uh, along your volunteering journey, though, uh, I think one of my absolute favorite stories that you've shared, uh, and, and I see you're repping it too, the, the Nuts shirt. Uh, how Nuts, hopefully we've got some Nuts listeners. Yet. Yeah, you, you've got to share the story. So at least the tidbit I remember, a bunch of alums just chilling in the hot tub, correct? At, at, a, at a conclave and then out out of a hot tub comes nuts <laughs> so to take me through that evening in the the journey of, of being a one of the co-founders of, of nuts so 93 like i mentioned was the inaugural balance man project stewards meeting and so i got i got started to get my arms around the national organization and then 94, we had another meeting in Philadelphia uh, for the same stewards to come back and report progress, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And it became clear to me that there was this thing called the Free Arcs. And it was this like insider little society of past staff guys, fraternity headquarters staff guys that had their own little thing. I'm like, hey, can I be a Free Arc? They said, no, you can't be a Free Arc. <laughs> you never worked. So I'm like, well, screw you guys. I'll start my own society. So that was the genesis where, where the seed was planted. And it took me a few years. That was 93, 94-ish. Yeah. And we didn't, we didn't have the infamous hot tub meeting 
at the when it, everybody needs a hot tub when it's 110 degrees outside and we're in Phoenix, you know. So we're, we're talking really sharp guys here. We're talking <laughs> Columbus Johnson, Pat Farrell, uh, Ron Taniuk, Steve Chinellis. I mean, we've got it's was quite the motley crew. I'm about Litcher, you know. I mean, son of a gun. We, uh, but yeah. So in between the Balanced Man Program Project Weekend, it was Project at the time. Now it's Program. Mm-hmm. And 97, the idea went on the back burner. One day I had nothing else to do. So I'm looking through Lifetime Responsibility of Brotherhood. And I'm like, you know, we want to have this society. We got to name it after somebody. And Frank Ruck was really in my mind because Frank Ruck was a mentor of mine. And Frank was a driving force behind the Balanced Man Project. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, we got to call ourselves the Ruckies. But I'm like, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't quite feel right the Rockies or the frank ruck thing you know frank frank was kind of not the kind of guy that ever saw any glory and i'm looking through the l rob and yeah you know this guy nah turn the page that guy nah anthony nuts mcauliffe nuts i'm like nuts and he's a freaking war hero and so you know we all and, and most of us now have learned a little bit about the story battle of the bulge 1944 uh, December of 44, 101st Airborne, Sigup brother Anthony Nuts McCall of West Virginia Beta 1917. Um, he was the guy in charge, and the, the Germans had us surrounded. And they, they sent a, a surrender request to Anthony Nuts McCall of our Sigup brother, Anthony McCall at the time. And uh, they wanted our, his unconditional surrender. And McAuliffe was a, see, this, the personification of diligence, you know, virtue yes. diligence, probably love. Mm-hmm. So it, it is the embodiment of diligence. They said, hey, look, you know, you guys are surrounded. You know that you're going to be annihilated. You got to surrender. And McAuliffe was asleep. And at first, when his guy, this is how he was programmed. You know, we, a lot of us have been watching the Michael Jordan series on ESPN. You want to talk about a competitive dude. He's in half of a, a stupor from being asleep. He wakes up. He says, are they finally surrendering? Surrendering. <laughs> the Germans were going to surrender to, to the Americans, even though they were surrounded and things didn't look good. That's how he was programmed, man. Jeez. And so when they said, no, 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 they, they want our surrender. And he, his response was, oh, nuts. And and he said, what should I say to him? To his radio guy, the radio guy says, I think you just nailed it. So that was the one word response. And it was basically, screw you to the Germans. And uh, he would not surrender. General Patton comes 50 miles in a snowstorm, yeah. liberates the little town of Stone where they were held up liberated them and by the way to mccallis deathbed he swore up and down they didn't need liberating the guy the guy is just a diligence animal and it and i had the pleasure so i'm like hey this is it we got to call ourselves the nuts group infamous hot tub meeting in in uh arizona next thing you know we got half a dozen guys now we have like 250 guys sending 20 some kids yeah to conclave it's just amazing I had the pleasure to actually get to know Anthony McAuliffe's nephew, Ken McAuliffe, who communicated with me and sent me a box of of the family uh, book called Nuts. And it's like a little paperback edition. of That's like the family edition of, of Nuts McAuliffe. I'll send you one, Caleb. It's autographed by Ken McAuliffe, too. And these are from the family collection. And uh, we distributed them to some of the Nuts guys in SIGAP. Very cool thing. Wow. Yeah, the society is always stayed true to our core principles you have a you have to be a volunteer b you have to be a donor and so we we just send kids to conclave it's a great thing yeah well one i just i love that story so much i appreciate you sharing it uh and you just rattled the info off like like it was on the back of your hand 
And I, I remember too, we were walking through in New Orleans at the, the World War II Museum. And sure enough, they've got Nuts McAuliffe right there. He's got his own stinking plaque. It is one of the coolest, the coolest stories. But I, I think what is so cool about it too, is like you shared, just a, a motley crew of SIGET volunteers in a hot tub in Arizona, because that makes sense. Uh, you know, on the, on the back of a napkin, just brainstorming stuff. And now, I mean, I remember at that last conclave, that nuts reception, you've got so many, uh, so many dedicated volunteers in one room. So it, it's so cool to see that. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that story. But that's kind of a theme with you is being a part of, of that, being a part of the Balanced Man program or, you know, heck, helping get Iowa Theta off the ground. Like, You've done so much within this volunteer experience and the bio is about as long as, you know, whatever. But is there a moment, though, that stands out to you from your your career thus far as a SIGET volunteer that stands out to be the most just fulfilling memory or moment that you've had? Oh, man, there's been so many of them. Uh, you know, getting Iowa Theta chartered in a record time no chapter has ever been chartered in in given approval for charter in less than a year that anyone can remember anyway except for iowa theta uh iowa theta went in his first buck up when i had andy triplett and mike bringle uh right next to me in orlando and they they figured out that they were the ones that were that they were reading their application information and that they were going to win a buck up they were shaking it was awesome mm. um iowa gamma winning its only three Buchanan Cups when I was chapter counselor there in the late 90s. That was pretty cool. Probably, you know, it's not about personal awards and that kind of stuff. Fraternity's been nice to me um, that way. And a, and a lot of us have gotten distinguished alumnus awards, you know, that kind of thing. Those are all great. I just can't imagine a, a moment being any more priceless than to find out that my son was going to be a SIGAP. That's just over the top. I, I don't even know how to put it into words, but to find out that your own son, you know, my son, Matt, of course, is a good friend of yours, uh, Iowa Theta guy. And to see him at Conclave and winning Buchanan Cups and yeah. having his life change because of the same damn fraternity that changed my life. It's it's just overwhelming. Yeah. Well, and I was I was going to ask about that as, as well. Uh, and I'm hoping to ask the same to, to Brad Narsad. We've got him on next week as well with with his boys being is sig up as well like can you describe that that feeling because the brotherhood of sigma phi epsilon has obviously made such an impact on your life but now to be able to share that with your son but also uh with your daughter being in greek life as well um yeah. i mean what is that feeling like sharing that now you've got your your son in the brotherhood uh going through these experiences serving not one exec position but two by the time he graduates, he'll just have collected the entire executive board. Uh, but I mean, what is that like, uh, you know, sharing that experience with, with Bart? Yeah, it's, it's been amazing. And, you know, my wife, Barb also is a SIGEP volunteer. She's on the national advancement council too. She's the, the fundraising brains of the outfit. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing having a family, experience katie's been to conclave matt's been to, i don't know half a dozen conclaves or something probably probably 10 leadership academies going yeah. back to when he was probably 10 or, you know it's pretty amazing um 
I don't know. It's, it's, it's really pretty cool because you, not everybody in life is lucky to have the experience that I had where you find this thing that just kind of gives you clarity on what you want to do and where you want to go. And for me, that was Signify Epsilon. And, yeah. You know, to, to, to share that with my family is absolutely overwhelming. I'm excited to have you talk to Brad Narstadt. I mean, Narstadt and Brad and his son, Benny, what a combination. And then, of course, Debbie is a really supportive wife. She goes to things as well. Yeah. Uh, Brad's just a legend in the fraternity. The, guys, the guy is absolutely true north principles, absolutely true north principles when it comes to the fraternity. Unshakable. There, you know that there's nothing in it for him, and that's something I've always respected about Brad Narstadt. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about the discussion and, and the conversation and to try to pick some knowledge from him. But I, I definitely I, I forgot even yeah. to mention that as well. Like on top of on top of Matt and, and your daughter as well, um, Barb has played such a crucial role in that. I mean, I remember I think who I forget who said it, but they said it the best. If every SIGAP volunteer, you know, had a spouse as supportive as Barb. Um, I mean, we'd be unstoppable as a, as a fraternity. And I think the coolest part too is, um, I believe it was when you were winning your exemplary service award and, and they, yeah. they break the news, um, that in the, the new Keefe house, they're, they're naming a room after you and Barb and, and like a good Iowa Theta Sig F, we've made the pilgrimage to see the, the Tom and Bob Barton room, uh, complete with a selfie, but take me through that moment like how obviously very special to be recognized in that capacity but then even to to have a space named after you what did that what was that like tom uh you know again overwhelming that was gary keith by the way uh past grand president one of our bestest friends gary keith uh who is just truly a piece of work and of course keith house <laughs> named after gary because he donated the money for it very generous uh and Gary, reading the introduction for the Exemplary Service Award, you know, mentioned that if everybody had somebody like Barb, you know, the, I don't know, the world, the world would be a better place. And we were we were just completely blindsided. Uh, neither one of us. Barb grew up, uh, I wouldn't say dirt poor, but definitely without, without a lot of money. I grew up freaking dirt dog poor. <laughs> there's the poverty line and then there's me. There's me looking up at it, scratching the claw and trying to just make it to the poverty line. And, uh, you know, I, I, there's some amazing things that I just can't get my head around. One of them is that I'm an advisor to millionaires. And, you know, I was, when I was a kid, they didn't want me in the same zip code as the Dubuque Golf and Country Club. And there was only one zip code in Dubuque back then. And, uh, and now, you know, to be an advisor to millionaires is just, is really amazing. And then to have a, a hallowed spot in, in, you know, in Richmond, that's, named after or at least dedicated to Barb and me, the Tom and Barb Barton annual giving offices. It's just over the top. And you know how you get to the annual giving offices? You have to go through the nuts war room to get there. That's even better. The fact that the only way to get to the Tom and Barb Barton annual giving offices is to go through the nuts McAuliffe war room that we raised money for and dedicated at the Keefe house too. There's a chair in that room, by the way, there's about 10 chairs in the room, all of them uh, a veteran or somebody who played a role in, in national security. And one of my best sig up friends ever, Columbus Johnson, founder of the nuts society. He's on the, he's on the, on the, uh, the back of the bar napkin from the hot tub in yes. Arizona. 
And, uh, you know, Columbus has a chair in that room dedicated to himself. So that's, I, I don't even, I still don't know that I can really grasp what it's like to have something like that dedicated to you and have it, you know, you're surprised by that in front of a room full of 700 people when you're getting another award. It's Barb and I both to this day are very, very touched. Oh, I love it. And, and legend, legend has it. If you go through and you leave a, a diet Mountain Dew in the Tom and Bob Barton, <laughs> Tom and Bob Barton room, you'll, you'll get an L Rob in the morning. Yeah. Is that how it works? Yeah. Well, and, and so much too, so much wisdom and, and knowledge within the fraternity accumulated through these years. And I'd be remiss not to try to squeeze out every ounce that I can. So for our, our undergrads that are listening, this this next portion, uh, you should be jotting down notes because we're going to try to squeeze as much knowledge as we can out of out of Tom. So Tom, one line that you've shared a few times that has always resonated with me is describing the SIGEP experience as a playground for personal development. And that's really resonated with me. But could you expand on just in what ways do you feel that uh, that SIGEP creates that playground, whether it's developing sales skills or uh, just interpersonal skills to commu- to succeed after college? Uh, what do you mean? What do you mean when you describe SIGEP as that playground? Well, it's it's just a factory for for personal and professional skills, and you don't realize that. You think about how much you spend on a fraternity. Um, on your fraternity dues over the course of four years versus what credit hours cost you. Yeah. And it, it is such a discounted, cheap learning experience. It's sick. And it's, I would say that it's, uh, I don't want to tick off any college officials that might be watching this, but man, you can't compare what a class on campus delivers in terms of value versus a fraternity experience that's done right. Now there are plenty of them done wrong Yeah. But when they're done right. And so for example, recruitment, sales skills, how to make a cash register ring. We're looking at what, 20% unemployment right now. They don't know because it's such a screwy time with the coronavirus, Mm -hmm. but uh, anywhere from 18 to 25% national unemployment, 25% was the unemployment rate in the great depression. So, you know, we're right there. And and of course that's going to change in a couple months when things get opened back up and all that. So we understand that, but still, so you tell me if your job is safe in this environment, if you can't make a cash register ring and I don't know where a kid going through, uh, my, my daughter's in a marketing program at Iowa. My son is, is in uh, MIS and supply chain, supply chain management at UNI, you know, where are they beaten over the head and told you've got to know how to sell something to somebody. Because in mm-hmm. business, nothing happens unless something gets sold. And so making a cash register ring, fraternity recruitment, which still I, I'm frustrated that we have not figured out a better way in the fraternity to teach every single member how to go out and recruit. We do our, we do, I don't know if it's our best. We do a, an okay job at at least introducing the concept. But the bottom line is in, in SIGUP, you get pushed at least a little bit to make a cash register ring. And in business, nothing happens until a cash register rings. There's leadership training, which is great someday when you're running corporate America or you're running a not-for-profit or or a school district or who knows what. And so uh, having those leadership skills, Barry Posner, leadership challenge stuff, those are taught directly. If you experience SIGUP in four years and you don't pick up on those five key tenets from a leadership challenge, you're just not paying attention. Then you look at project management. Anytime you're planning a party, anytime you're planning a spring formal, anytime you're planning an alumni event, anytime you're planning a personal development program, you're you're into project management. 
organizing intramurals. It's all project management. And there's an egregious lack of project management tools on the part of our young professionals today. So there's another way. Um, communication skills, reaching out to alumni. Good chapters have good alumni programs. And, and mm -hmm. it's, that's another terrific skill. Accounting, finance, learning how to keep track of the books for the chapter, being responsible with dollars. I mean, I can go on and on and on. But it is, it's a playground. It's a laboratory. It is a factory for professional and personal skills. And then the Balance Man program interjected all of the all of the personal growth areas goal setting time management respect yeah. for uh, diversity respect for women yada 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 it's 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 the cheapest educational program that you're going to get within your four years on a college campus wow yeah and even as you describe it too there no shortage of opportunities regardless of someone's major regardless of what their career path is going to be to really just soak up these different skill sets to help prepare them for that I mean, I think one of the most powerful ways that it really resonated with me is we were, I think it was, it was life after college. Um, and, uh, we had brother Gary Dudley up there and he described how important and valuable that experience was for him, um, going into business. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm sold right there, uh, that that's one of the best ways. So, I mean, you mentioned COVID. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned COVID um, as well. And so at the time of this recording, I mean, we're still going through all of this, this unprecedented, um, unprecedented change. But what advice then do you have for our undergraduate brothers uh, so that they can come out of COVID-19 a better person? In what ways can they be focusing on um, just their own personal uh, growth and development? Well, number one, stay healthy. Uh, number, number two, it's beautiful. And I'll tell you why it's beautiful. Because if it's tough on you, and this is tough on everybody, business is tougher, especially kids graduating this year looking for jobs, it's tougher. But it's, if it's tougher on you, imagine what it's doing to your competition. And it just makes me happy. It makes me happy thinking about those other financial advisors hiding under their desks, hoping clients don't call because accounts are down a little bit, which is a part of the game. And they haven't reached out to anybody through this process. They're just being lazy. And you think about who you're competing with for jobs in the professional world that are licking their wounds. And boy, this is so hard. It's so hard. You bet it's hard. And it's beautiful. It's like thumb screws getting twisted into your competition. Now, how's that? <laughs> twisted? Yeah, yeah we're, we're taught how to be positive. And we're taught an extra layer of personal and professional skills. And we're taught diligence, diligence, grit, guts. We're taught those things in SIGAP. And, uh, and those will serve our undergrads really, really well as mm -hmm. we go through this thing. And you know what? There's nothing wrong. If you can't find a job in your area of expertise, maybe you got to work at the pizza joint and sweep a floor for an extra few months. There's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot going on at the pizza joint where you can learn about customer service and business process and uh, proper motivation of employees. That's that's another laboratory, too. You can work at the dang uh, Dairy Queen. You can, you can work at the Steak and Shake and learn yeah. business skills to prepare yourself for when that job comes knocking. So, you know, it's it, – it, but – People that are hungry, I, I, I talk about my, one of the phrases I love the most is I say, look, I have a BA uh, in, from college. I, I don't have a BS. I don't have an MBA. I don't have a PhD, but I, I kind of do have a PhD. And it, But it's not capital P, lowercase h, capital D. It's, it's, it's just capital PhD. And for me, it means poor 
hungry and driven. And when mm-hmm. it comes to being tough and gritty, because of how I grew up, you know, with, with no money and uh, no advantages, I tell you, man, I can endure pain and hardship like very few people who I know. To this day, being 53 years old and reasonably comfortable in life, man, I wouldn't bet against me. I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I, I don't I don't know as much about some, about the world as some people. I'm not the most worldly. When it comes to just gutting it out, I I wouldn't want to bet against me. There's other people who are as tough as me, but I don't think there are too many people out there who are any tougher. So having a PhD, poor, hungry, and driven, and here's the other thing, my other phrase, you know, I don't have an MBA, but I have a GSD, and GSD means get stuff done. And I tell you, for people in this world who can go out there and get something done, mm-hmm. they can produce a result rather than kids coming out of college saying, "Hey, I'm forty grand in debt," and but I have a a major in basket weaving, and people should want to hire me because you know I, I went to college. You know, nobody cares. Nobody cares. That tough, gritty kid that doesn't have a college degree, they'll hire that person over you if they can get something done. And this yeah. world is in serious need of, of young professionals who can get stuff done. And it isn't just this generation, Caleb. This was this, the same thing was true in the late 80s when I graduated. Yeah. The late 80s, the 1980s was a go-go decade for everywhere but Dubuque, Iowa. And there were kids coming out of college wanting, you know, pay me $10 million a year and I want a company car and I want to be in management and I want to, I want a lot of time off, you know? Okay. Mm-hmm. That's great. How does that add value for your employer? So long, long answer to a short question. But still uh, a lot of valuable info in there as well. And I'm just, I, there's so much that goes into that mentality, right? Where you described the, the, the thumb screws, right? Going into competition and how you can outlast and, and do that. And I think t- I think that mentality is just so it's so embedded in our fraternity, right? I mean, Nuts McAuliffe would be the same way. I mean, you could be surrounded by the enemy and you're expecting them to surrender. Even when, you know, the school officials are asking, why do we need another fraternity? Our our founding brothers, they didn't just say, oh, okay, and went home with their tail in between their legs. They said, no, I mean, we're going to create a different fraternity. So what... I'm going to keep pushing. So like, in, in what ways do you think uh, undergrads can develop that, that mindset, uh, that growth mindset uh, of coming out of these things stronger, right? Um, learning from these different situations that they're being put into and, and really um, becoming those high achievers. I know that's, that's something that you've studied, right? Whether it's um, high performing athletes or uh, basically any industry giant, you, you've studied them all. Uh, what do you see as those key themes that uh, undergrads can like start focusing on um, to get that mentality? Well, you know, there's, it's really hard to, to make somebody into something who they're not. Um, I, I can't remember if it's Mike Krzyzewski or it's one of the legendary basketball coaches in college. They have a third garage rule. And when they make a visit to the kid's house to recruit them to play at Duke or North Carolina, wherever it is, um, I can't remember what school and which coach, but they get nervous when they see the third garage because the third families that have three car garages, those are when you start crossing into more expensive homes. Two car garages become pretty normal. We have a three car garage. I worry about that with my son all the time and my daughter. I'm like, how hungry are they going to be? 
And so it's interesting. Uh, you, if you're, if you've grown up pampered and soft, you're just going to have to fall on your face for a few years until mm. you realize that the world doesn't owe you a dang thing. And and just because you know Matt Barton or Katie Barton walked out of the door of a of a, I mean, if you want to tally the ones underneath, we got room for about six cars. So they they have all sorts of strikes against them. <laughs> But we also lived in a in a two bedroom condo with three of us after after my divorce. So we we spent our, we paid our dues at the condo. We loved the little condo, the little fourteen hundred square foot condo. But you know, kids today, if some people get it, and and listen, kids that come from three car garage homes, that doesn't mean that they're not go getters too. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but you got to be hungry, poor, hungry, and driven, even if you're not poor. And uh, so I, the, the rules that I have here to live by, I, I've got 16 of them. I'll read them in about a minute for you real quick. For First sure. of all, you have to acknowledge that there's no limits. Everything is possible if you if you want to go after it. Number two, you have to have a can-do attitude and be very positive. And a little bit of audacity never hurts. That was a general patent thing. Audacity, audacity, always audacity. Yes. Uh, I like to use the phrase guts, grit, and grace. Yeah. Prioritize networking and, and have people around you who you can learn from. Number four, control what you can, but let go of what you can't. Uh, number five, leverage focus through goal setting and time management and personal planning. That really is the secret to the universe right there, goal mm-hmm. setting and time management. Uh, delayed gratification, you got to be willing to outwork everybody. S- size up other people, have a BS filter, and be able to figure out the world around you. Uh, be a leader. Uh, realize that you have to make a difference and give back. Keep your personal life in order. Get rid of drama. We have undergrads that come from some tough homes, mm-hmm. and and you may you may be surrounded by people that aren't helping you get anywhere. And you got to just keep your personal life in order. And sometimes you have to let relationships go. Uh, just a few more characters. What you do when no one is watching. You got to be able to hang with different people from all walks of life. People that think that being successful and being rich or being whatever means that you can finally hang out with just elite people. Big mistake because whoever you think is elite. They don't want to hang out with just rich people. They want to hang out with all different kinds of people. You got to be healthy. So fitness and nutrition matters. Be smart with money. Um, constantly upgrade your skills. Mm-hmm. And then you got to have fun and enjoy them there too. Dang. Goal setting and time management though. That's where it all really happens. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Especially uh, Speed Spiff AOL. Uh, all the way. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> Physically, emotional, social, professional, intellectual, financial, attitude, organization, leadership. 23 years, 27 years of spitting that out, man. I, they're going to put that on my on my tombstone. Oh, here lies Tom Barton. Yeah. <laughs> I could see it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And that, that makes me think almost, too, because there, there's so much knowledge even within that set of rules. And you've had so many valuable one-liners. Um uh, that have just stuck, but I, I guess if you had um, if you had a billboard right that every every single SIGEP undergrad is going to see, uh, you've got that billboard. What what are you putting on it? What's the what's the one liner that you're putting on that board? Jeez, there's so many of them. I mean, UG Dubak, you can't carve rotten wood. There's so many great SIGEP phrases, but the one. I can't remember if I came up with it. I think maybe I stole it from some of the original Balance Man project materials. Don't remember. It was around the early to mid-90s when I bumped into this one, but it just nails it to this day. And that is, if you want milk, don't sit on a stool in hopes that a cow will back up to you. You got to go out there and get the cow. You don't sit on a stool and wait for the cow if you want milk. 
Mm-hmm. Go after it. But but fundamentally, first you have to know that you want milk. So you have to have a goal. You got to have clarity. And then number two, you got to take action. Most people never set goals, and they certainly don't. They don't get off their keister and really take action. Some do, and for those who do, the world opens up. That's why you know, I, I get a little tired of the political fist fighting that goes back and forth. Everybody wants to posture on how to help the poor. None of them grew up poor. Man, I, I grew up poor. And I'm telling you, it is really no more complicated than that. Set a vision and go after it. That's mm-hmm. how you change your life, whether it's going from poverty to riches, whether it's going from being a mediocre teacher to being a world-class teacher, whether it goes from being a football coach that isn't very good to being a state champion, whether it's you know uh, being the best social worker, whether it's setting up a, a billion-dollar corporation. Set a goal. Go after it. If you want milk, don't sit on that stool and wait for the cow to come to you. Wow. There's uh, another one, too. The other, the other one I throw out is it was in the, the Right Now video that a lot of us remember from 1993 Conclave, I think it was. And, you know, it's that there, there's no traffic jam on the extra mile. And, uh, again, all of those little buzz phrases, those catchphrases, they, they're, they're terrific. Both really valuable tidbits, and especially the the cow, not waiting for the cow to, to back up to the stool, I think just uh, embodies the, the GSD mentality in my opinion I, I love that a lot um so you know we were i was i was on my way, i was on my way to conclave in dallas in 1993 and i'm driving down with Derek anderson and matt harris two founders of iowa theta both of them marshalltonians and uh Derek was was our president i believe at the time matt harris was an executive committee member both of them been wildly successful. Derek owns a business in Kansas City. Matt Harris is successful. I think he's doing real estate now in South Carolina. Yeah. Terrific people. But we, we laughed over and over about the phrase from uh, from the Rowdy Roddy Piper movie in the in the late 80s, early 90s. And I, I think it's called They Ride or something like that. But the phrase is, I came here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. <laughs> and I'm all out of bubblegum. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. At this point, we'll just have to keep getting you billboards to attack, tag on lines like that. And I'm all out of bubblegum. I, I, I like that a lot. Uh, final kind of question with uh, for tidbits of advice there. Uh, so you've made it clear cut. You've got your set of rules, your your own goal setting system, SpeedSpiff AOL. On the flip of that, though, like what would you say is the most common uh, mistake or um, – just pitfall that you see undergrads falling into um, as they're as they're starting off outside of SIGEP because like we've described it, SIGEP creates that that playground and that laboratory to get out and um, and experiment and develop those skills. But then after that, uh, as Rapaski says, it's live rounds of ammunition out there in the real world. Uh, so what what mistakes or, or pitfalls do you see SIGEP undergrads meaning well bumping into as they enter the, the real world? A lot of them, I think, don't understand that the dues that they pay as an undergrad, that they paid as an undergrad, is nowhere near enough to support the fraternity. The only way that that fraternity experience existed for them is from the the time, talent, and treasure of the alumni and the volunteers. And if you actually had to pay for the fraternity experience, it would be probably five to ten times the cost that it is right now. Because you have volunteers. You have me. Back in the day at Iowa State, it was Bob Graper. 
Uh, so many people have given time to the chapter and to make it great, and, and chapters across the country. You look at our list of nearly 200 OGHs. You look at the foundation that raises a million five a year to pay for the undergrad experience. That goes right into, into money that the undergrads don't have to pay. You know, I, I think it's really easy for someone to get out of school and then, and then take for granted what was given to them by SIGEP, and they don't give back. Mm. And that, that troubles me for a bunch of reasons, um, but they have to give back. I also think when you graduate and you get a job and you're doing stuff, you convince yourself that you're really busy, and you're not. Mm-hmm. I mean, how much time per week do you spend being a college kid? You have your 15 hours in class, maybe 20 to 30 hours outside of class just working on your studies. There's a full-time work week alone. Then you throw in the fraternity, this club, that organization. You got 60, 70, 80 hour weeks of time that you're putting in in college. When you graduate and leave and you have a real job, man, you got, you got all sorts of time. So people take their eye off the prize. They take their eye off of their goals and they, they just kind of get sloppy. And I, I think not everybody, but I think that's easy to happen for a lot of people. My first year out of college, man, I, I was so exhausted for college. I think I slept on the couch for a year <laughs> just at my, at my apartment. I'd get done teaching and coaching back in the day. I'd get home and my girlfriend at the time was busy until early evening. I'd get home and I'd collapse on the couch from exhaustion for a couple hours each day. So, it, you know, <laughs> I don't know, man, there's a lot of mistakes people make, but we, we definitely, definitely need our alumni to give time, talent and treasure to the fraternity because we, we cease to function if that doesn't happen. And then staying focused on goal setting, everything you learn in the BMP, it mm-hmm. all applies when you're out of I love that. Really valuable. And and the way you describe that too, it, it reminds me of that um, that concept of the blank check to Uncle Billy that you talk about so much, right? That that concept, yeah, uh, and you can never repay it back. Can you can you expand on that? Uh, what you mean by that blank check to blank check to Uncle Billy? Because I feel it really drives home uh, just that whole point that that you're making there with undergrads of of continuing to give back for uh, to pay it forward for that experience that they enjoyed as an undergrad well dave mclaughlin and i from minnesota alpha dave mclaughlin fraternity legend uh, mclaughlin and i talk a lot about the the unpaid debt to uncle billy about the time you get good and fed up with the fraternity and an undergrad just ticked you off and somebody didn't return a phone call or who knows what you're ready to say dang dang and i'm tired of this whole thing and then all of a sudden somebody comes along and does something special you because of SIGAP and then you're like son of a gun they did it again and it's just that it's an ongoing unpaid debt because the fraternity gets better and better and better if you don't volunteer if you don't stay involved as an alumnus you just you miss out on all that the fraternity is better today when i'm 53 than it than it was when i was 21 and uh you, but but it's if you keep giving to the fraternity this network is so powerful and so influential and so uplifting that your life will tangibly be better for having stayed involved with the fraternity and volunteering on the AVC, doing, being a mentor to a kid, being on a national committee, whatever it might be, uh, donating some money and just staying in touch from afar. It all comes back to you because there's an energy source. There's like a, there's like a supernova at the core of Sigma Phi Epsilon that when you stay engaged, you just derive tremendous energy and power from that SIGEP supernova core. And uh, it just gets me jacked up. When I was, when I was a teacher, you know, I was disappointed in our professional development uh, experiences that we had in the school district. Yeah. I used to get so flipped 
excited for Carlson Leadership Academy. Uh, I'd, I'd be there early and I'd stay late and I would just look around the room and I would just take in the energy. I mean, with sheer osmosis, the guys in the room and some gals, I, I just I just derived a tremendous amount of energy and power from people in that room. And that never changes. I mean, about the time you think you got it figured out, and you know, you've, you've maxed out with your fraternity involvement, you meet Charlie Amato or you meet Gary Keefe yeah. or you meet John Goodman or, you know, whoever it might be. You know, somebody who, John Hartman, you know, I mean, you, you meet these legends and you just get this energy from them and it's, it's all exciting. Yes. Oh my gosh. The supernova of the SIGF network. Uh, really well said. Um, well, uh, that kind of leads us to our final portion here of the lightning round. So with the podcast, we've got this, uh, the easy questions are done. It's now the, the fast hitting tidbits to try to squeeze out. Um, the last remaining wisdom that we can. So are you ready for the lightning round? Lay it on me. Quick answers. You're looking for real quick answers. Yeah. So most impactful book that you've ever read? Uh, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Love it. Uh, Best quote or advice that you've received throughout your career? Frank Ruck said to me at Balance Man Project weekend number two in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 1994. He said, Tom, you're a terrific guy. You got a lot going on, but you haven't figured it out yet. And he said to me, the secret to life is knowing which rules to break. And I think he sensed in me that I was a guy that was very rigid and thought that I had everything figured out. And Frank was telling me that the rules that I needed to break were the rules that I had made for myself. And Mm. tremendous piece of advice, life changing. Oh, I love that. That's a perfect segue. Uh, you, you've encountered thousands of SIG apps, and you've mentioned a few of the mentors even on, on the show today. Um, can you share one of the most impactful mentors, uh, like in addition to guys like Frank Ruck, and uh, what was that powerful lesson that you learned from him, or one of the top lessons that you learned from him? I, I always point to that moment with Frank because I was a young volunteer and nobody – really knew who I was yeah. and Frank took some time with me, and it meant a lot. There's a, there's a posse of guys that helped me change my career to go from teaching and coaching ultimately to being a, a financial advisor. And that group included Bob Graper, Mark mm-hmm. Davis, Mark Davis can sell a, he can sell a, a, a refrigerator to an Eskimo in the dead of winter. That guy, he was also, he and Ari Rosenbaum are the two guys that started Iowa Theta from a headquarters standpoint, but Mark Davis Pat Farrell, Dan Craninger, both of them were financial advisors. They helped talk me into going to work into the financial, uh, the financial advice industry. They were terrific. Uh, Jim Clayton, billionaire, sold to Warren Buffett for a couple billion bucks. Jim Clayton took a little interest in me at one point and sent me his book, autographed it. Um, you know, he he talks about being a poor kid in Tennessee, uh, and he talks about having you know all you need to get by in this world are three hots and a cot, and. Uh, <laughs> You know, that stuck with me. If, if, if billionaire Jim Clayton can tell me, you know, as long as you got three hots and a cot, you're probably okay. But, but the title of his book is First a Dream. And so you got to think bigger than that. Oh, my gosh. You know, Bill Trago is telling me that the Greeks took Troy because they wouldn't stop trying. Uh, that, that says it all right there. Bob McCune. McCune was just a humble, uh, former John Deere marketing guy. Um just, just a good guy. Never married, uh, made stick up his life, and just gave you attention as a kid. He was just top shelf. The damnedest thing is, 
my my sister in the Quad Cities winds up with a Facebook friend of hers, um, you know, Janet Hemmingson. And it turns out that Janet Hemmingson, 92-year-old Janet Hemmingson, 90-year-old Janet Hemmingson, I don't want to date her um, any older than she is, but Janet, Janet turns out to be Bob McCune's sister. So she's now a Facebook friend and truly meaningful. I just warm up every time I see Janet posting something on Facebook. So many people, too many to count. Gary Keith telling me, listen to the whispers. Um, I, I could go on and on and on. You know, there's so many great SIGEPs out there. Sean Delgleish at Carlson Leadership Academies, McLaughlin up in the cities, Calderon out west. Uh, I don't know where, I, I, I mean, I'm, there's a hundred other people I could mention. It's just this collective supernova like i said it's like this this collective core of people that are just doing amazing things and you learn from every one of them wow how's that for a short that's pretty powerful well i think it's unfair because yeah as you describe it you've had a, a whole tribe and then some uh impactful sig apps that you've come across that have you've st stolen some wisdom from i love it uh the, the last one is pure pure just for fun but uh Bill Belichick somehow has found another way to pull a no-namer out, and he's he's put you in for the Patriots starting lineup. Um, you're you're walking out at Gillette Stadium. What's your walkout song? My walkout song, Back in Black. That's just Back oh. in Black, baby. Nothing quite grabs the arena like <laughs> Back in Black. That's what they play at Iowa Hawkeye Wrestling Meets for the greatest NCAA Division One sports program in history. And uh, it back in black just gets me jacked up. I, I'm an old ACDC guy. Uh, bon Scott died the same week that my mom died in 1980. So there's some funny little connections. Uh, but yeah, back in black. Maybe for those about to rock on a slow day, if, you know, because the crowd <laughs> probably enjoys that. But uh, back in black. And I'm wearing, by the way, I'm wearing number 73 for John Hogg Hanna. Uh, the greatest offensive lineman in football history, truly. And he was a great Patriot back in the day before the Patriots were the Patriots like they are today. Oh, that's awesome. No hesitation. Most people, most people, that one is hard to, to answer. It's just all the good songs go out of their head. But you knew ACDC off, off the get-go. I, I love that. Wow. The anthem. The anthem. That's that's exactly why my Barton Spartans handouts that you've gotten, they're done in ACDC font. <laughs> yeah, I, I noticed that. <laughs> the, the Barton Spartans tie, yeah, the font right there. Yeah, uh, I'm on to it. Well, I dig that. What a, what a fun episode. So much, so much wisdom between your rules that you've shared. Um, I've just littered my notes here with these little quotes and one-liners um, from from today's chat. So thanks for taking the time to hop on the show and, and sharing um, so yet even more of your time um, with us all. Appreciate it, Tom. All right, brothers, that wraps up this week's episode of our very own Balanced Men. I hope that you got some wise words of wisdom from Tom's bit and hopefully a valuable one-liner uh, to serve you well. In addition, I've shared on our Facebook page, but the lineup of amazing guests, uh, such as Tom Barton, doesn't stop yet. And so if at this point, if there is a brother that you know that you feel may enjoy or benefit from the podcast, uh, please feel free to, to share an episode with them or feel free to direct them to our Facebook page. We'd greatly appreciate it. 
Until next time, thanks for listening to our very own Bounce Man.